I started to create new traditions, which, you know, community and creating new traditions was really what helped me because my brain was thinking, okay, well, it's Christmas Eve, you should be drinking right now. So we have to change what we're doing because if we do the same things, we just do them without the drink. Eventually, we're going to convince ourselves to pick up that drink. And so that really helped me is just creating those new traditions and always having people around and always realizing that I'm never alone. You know, there's there's times today when, when things get really tough, especially around the holidays. I have a broken up family, so they're still hard for me, but I know I'm never alone. Any time of the day, I can pick up the phone, go online, use those resources like you said earlier, Elise. And that's the gift I think about being sober in any way that you get sober is we meet some really cool people. I mean, look at all of us in the call, right? <laughs> like we said, we've all, you know, seen each other online. So it's very cool. I'm Heather Venegas, and you're listening to King County Recovery Conversations, a place to celebrate recovery and help break the stigma of addiction and mental health. Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of King County Recovery Conversations. My name is Elise Bryson, and I will be your host for the day. And this episode is dropping on Christmas. So if you are listening to this on the actual day, we hope you are having a safe, healthy, and happy holiday season. Well, I'm excited to introduce a whole group of people to you today, I have rounded up some podcasters that all have individual recovery-based podcasts coming out of the Pacific Northwest. So we're going to talk about what it's like to be podcasters, to be sober, and to live in the Pacific Northwest. And then we're also going to talk about our individual experiences of navigating our first holidays uh, in recovery and or just other tips and tricks along the way. So, uh, Tamar, I'll kick it over to you to get us started. Thanks, Elise. It's so fun to be here with all of you amazing people. My name is Tamar Medford, and I'm co-host of the Laughing Without Liquor podcast, which is a woman's guide to living it up without the booze. Thanks, Tamar. Pete, what about you? Uh, my name is Pete, and I, uh, I'm i doing a, so- a podcast named Sober Champs. Uh, we we record out of Pioneer Square down in downtown Seattle, and it's just interviewing people that have been on the journey of recovery, and uh, oh, it's it's very exciting. So. It's you guys need to check it out. Their video quality is like next level. You're not going to get that here, folks. Okay, Amy Liz Harrison, over to you. Okay, hi, I'm Amy Liz Harrison, and I have the Eternally Amy podcast. And basically, I just hear people's stories, whether it's about sobriety, recovery, ADHD, or just kind of what it's like to be living life on this planet. And happy to be here. Thanks, Amy. And sometimes I jump on to Amy's podcast and we read books together and then we talk about if we liked them or not. And saving the best for last, Casey Davidson is here with the Hello Someday podcast. She's got more downloads than all of us combined. Casey, say hello. Hey there. Yeah, I'm Casey McGuire Davidson. My podcast is Hello Someday for Sober Curious Women. And it's a coaching approach to quit drinking and life without alcohol. So I have on a lot of authors and therapists and addiction experts with sort of tips and tricks for navigating life alcohol-free. 
Thanks, Casey. Um, well, let's go ahead and jump into it and talk about podcasting first. Casey, I'm going to start with you because I think you might have been doing it the longest on the call. If not, you and Tamar might be head to head on that. So can you talk to, to us what it's like? Uh, how long ago did you start your podcast and, and, a, and a brief synopsis of the journey you've been on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I always wanted to start a podcast because when I quit drinking, when I was struggling, when I was sober curious, I listened to a ton of podcasts. It was, I didn't know a lot of sober people in my life and it really helped to hear from other women who were on the other side and said life was better. So I always knew I wanted to start a podcast when I left corporate and started coaching full time. That was four years ago. So I started my show about three and a half years ago. And I just recorded episode 190, which is crazy. I haven't done anything else every week for 190 weeks mm. except this. But it has been incredibly fun. Well, and except you haven't been drinking. so that you Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. that. Sure. What's that? <laughs> I got oh, yeah. you guys. Well, I'm, I'm real I've wired been up that for way longer. I think you guys <laughs> all beat me in sobriety, but I am approaching eight years in February. Congratulations. Thank Very you. cool. Awesome. Amy, what about you? What's been your experience with podcasting? Well, I've been flying by the seat of my pants, Elise, and it has been a wild ride, but I've definitely enjoyed it. I will say the biggest challenge slash best thing for me has been just sort of figuring it out as I go and being okay with that. I've definitely had some snafus along the way, but really it's been good for me to be uncomfortable and just kind of figure that out because that's kind of how I did my sobriety too, is I didn't feel super comfortable in my own skin and I just had to kind of let that go and be awkward and be okay with it. I love that you're sharing your progress and not your perfection. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> Pete, I Thank think you. you might be the newest one because you launched Sober Champs earlier this year, 2023, correct? Correct. Yeah, I got, we're going on about nine months of uh, recording. I think we have about 12 episodes. Uh, we're going to be uh, season twoing it here very soon. Um you know, my, my experience was that I was in the 12 step rooms and, um, there were so many, uh, amazing stories being had that, and hearing, um, them, but they were very short. And I was like, I would like to hear a little bit more of these people's stories, but also ask them questions. And, uh, I've, I've got a co-host named Rudy and Rudy and I, um, take these beautiful people and kind of go down their, their story uh, for an hour or two. And, uh, the experience has been very, very exciting. Also speed bumps along the way. Um, it has not been as smooth as I would have pictured it to be, but, uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, uh, it's a dream come true. I, I thought about this years ago, but putting some execution into it is, has been, uh, exciting. 
Well, and I've listened to maybe not all your episodes, Pete, but I've listened to a handful because you've had several people on that I I personally know from my recovery circle. And it is a different approach. They do go long. They get really into the details. And what I appreciate is it's not just the details about what happened before choosing uh, to jump into sobriety or recovery, whatever label works best for you. But they also spend a a lot of time talking about what happened after the fact. And for me, as someone who's been around for more years than I like to announce, um, because it just makes me sound like an old timer, um, I really get more excited hearing about how did you get through things sober than all the times you blacked out. Like those stories are funny. Don't get me wrong. I have a million of them too. But what really lights me up is hearing how other people problem solve without numbing out their feelings. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So you guys should totally check it out. And like I said, they have amazing video quality too. So if you're a visual watcher versus just with your ears, they've got some options. Tamar, what about you with laughing without liquor? My journey started in 2019 and believe it or not, I had never even heard of a podcast before 2019. I didn't know what one was. I thought it was, you know, radio and I wasn't going to go there, but a friend of mine introduced me to podcasts when I was trying to improve my health journey. And I think I had been around six, seven years sober at that time. And my podcast coach actually had a event down in Los Angeles. And I had met one of the keynote speakers. We got invited out for dinner with them. And she's like, what's your story? Why aren't you drinking? Because of course, when everybody around the table is drinking and you're not, they want to know. And I said, I'm a retired professional. And she's like, tell me your story, right? And she actually became a mentor of mine. She was also a podcaster. And she said, Tamara, why don't you get into recovery? Like that is your area. Why don't you talk about it? And I said, well, it's a stigma. And she said, who cares? She goes, you have a voice, you have a story, you need to share that with the world because chances are people can relate to your story of recovery. Because I didn't go to treatment, I never ended up in jail, and I really didn't qualify myself as an alcoholic when I first got sober right away because of those reasons. And I'm definitely an alcoholic. So I converted over, I was, uh, you're sober now it for a little bit, and now today we're laughing without liquor. And We really want to help people achieve long-term sobriety. And I think in all the personal development work and the coaching that I've done, it's helped enhance my recovery. And of course, hearing from others in long-term sobriety, I mean, too many of us go back out after five years and we want to help people stay. And so we thought, let's focus on helping, you know, primarily women, but men also listen to our show, learn to laugh without the use of any substances, no matter what Mm -hmm. that is. And our substance of choice Mm -hmm. was, of course, Mm -hmm. alcohol. Thanks, Tamar. And it's not a surprise that you didn't know about podcasting until 2019. You are from Canada. Like, we understand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it was in the winter, of course, we had our eagle right, in, so there right, was no reception right, right. or anything. So there's that factor. Well, yeah. I have a, a fun story. It kind of involves everybody here, really. Um, so Amy and Tamar are both sober curators on my site, The Sober Curator. Pete and Casey have both been featured on uh, The Sober Curator. So we've all kind of been on that platform. And I have a really cool story to share about another sober curator who was listening to Casey's podcast. She was actually listening to it while 
while she was still drinking um, every day or whatever, whatever the frequency was of your episodes. She was listening to every single one for like three months, but she was still drinking. And then I came on your episode. This was a little over a year ago. We did that super cool episode where we talked about all the movies and TV shows that have addiction, recovery, mental health as part of the storyline. And she heard that the day she heard that episode, something in the messaging that between Casey and I and talking about shows and talking about why it's so important to have fun in recovery, she finally realized like, oh, if I do this, my life isn't going to be sad and boring and pathetic it's going to be fun. These ladies say it's going to be fun. And she hasn't had a drink since that day. And she reached out to me uh, shortly after she had a year because she wanted to become a sober curator. And so we jumped onto a Zoom call and we were talking and that's where she shared the story with me. So I say that to mean recovering out loud is a big decision, but once you make it, the ripple effect of the people you can reach in most cases, you'll never know. It's super cool that she shared that story with us, but most people that will never happen. And so what I'd like to talk about next is like the decision around recovering out loud and and how that made you feel and what made you comfortable with it. I personally, um, although I have been in sobriety since 2006, um, I did not come out on the internet or social media as a person in recovery until I launched the Sober Curator in 2020. Um, I wasn't shy about saying I was in recovery. If we met in real life and it came up in an organic way, I have no problem talking about it. But I wasn't putting it on hats or t-shirts and I definitely wasn't putting it on my Facebook or Instagram. So that's all changed and I feel comfortable with it. And I've had a lot of experiences where people reach out to me that I don't even know very well because, you know, they've got a sister, they've got a brother, they've got a cousin, they need resources. And so I'm, I'm proud that I made the decision to step out. Although sometimes it makes me anxious. I'm not going to lie because, um, it, you know, if a relapse is in my future, like my ego is not going to do well. So, um, uh, but I, but overall, I see the benefits of it. So I'm curious from each of you, like what uh, what your journey has been with recovering out loud, and if you've had any bumps along the way. Casey, do you want to go next? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thank you for telling me that story. You seriously made my day, and that's amazing. And I loved our conversation because you and me were like fangirling all the celebs and the fashion and all the good stuff. Um, so that was fun. Um, yeah, I had a lot of nervousness about that. And I think unlike maybe all of you, I, uh, did not come through a 12 step program. I did try it for about four months. You know, like most people, I had multiple attempts to stop drinking. I ended up quitting with the help of a sober coach and sort of an online coaching program, I guess. And so um, I don't call myself an alcoholic. I could debate for a million years the label or not. I just say I used to drink a lot. I loved it. I quit. I feel better without it. I'm alcohol free. So I was still very nervous to put it out there. Um, I started out just, not just, but being a life coach for busy women. Um, And I discovered that coaching women who struggled with alcohol was easy and more satisfying and more fun than anything else I could do. Because most of the women I work with are, are sort of high achieving moms, working moms. And when you remove the alcohol 
so much of their life gets better just immediately in every area of their lives. And, you know, like you guys, once you've been through it, and if you've been in the world for a long time, you kind of know how to do that, how to help people do that. So um, I was sort of a life and sobriety coach. And then at some point, I said to my husband, because he's a, a sort of principal of a private school, I said, do you mind if I kind of put it out there that I'm a sober coach and start a podcast and, you know, people are going to know. And he cracked me up because he was like, why would I care if you, if people knew that you don't drink and help people do that? And the flip side was, you weren't asking me if I cared when you were getting completely drunk at my school auctions. You know what I mean? Like hugging the head of school and the other parents and just, he was like, yeah, but now that you don't drink at all and you are helping people, yeah, I don't care. And that was just so funny because you worry about the stigma and what people will think. Um, sometimes like the, the wife of the head of school and some of the parents come up to me of kids in my son's class and are like, I listen to your podcast and I'm sort of cringing like, oh, you know everything about me. But um, it's always been very positive. So, yeah. Well, and you recently had your daughter on the podcast. I think I saw that. That that's You want to talk a little bit about that? She's nine years old and um, uh, she, um, a lot of the women I work with, I mentioned are mothers. And one of the big things that comes up is how do you talk to your kids about stopping drinking, why you're stopping drinking alcohol? Amy, I bet you have a ton to contribute on this. I know you've written a lot of books, which are so cool, but it was uh, just the conversation about like, what does she think about alcohol and how do we talk about it? And my husband still drinks. So how, you know, how do we talk about the fact that he drinks and I don't, and mom's a sober coach. And, and it was, it was actually a great conversation. Well, and that is a great segue. So Amy is the leader of the children on this call for sure, because Amy has eight children. That's right. Eight. And she had four of them before getting sober, which I'll let her tell her story a little bit, and then four after. So Amy, I know that you've had a lot of experience talking to your kids about this. You recently even published a book, a children's book, Mommy Goes to Meetings, um, which if you want to check that out on Amazon, you can just Google that there, or not Google, Amazon that there. Um, Amy, uh, talk to us about what it's like talking to your kids about um, your life choices. Yeah, basically, it's totally different than I imagined. I thought, you know, this was going to be just this, you know, like a shroud of shame or something, but it's been totally opposite. And, you know, when I first got back from treatment and I was really fragile and everything was new and I was still in my old drinking neighborhood with my drinking buddies and I was trying to navigate that. I just felt very kind of like, what is this going to look like, right? All the unknowns. And then as time went on and I realized I'm going to have to move out of this neighborhood <laughs> if I want to stay sober because that was primarily where I did all my drinking was out in the cul-de-sac with my neighbors. So all of our kids would be out there playing and running around in the front yard and we'd be knocking back some Chardonnays. And so when I moved, I just thought, okay, so now 
you know, I'm turning a page for real. Like I'm pretty much committing to this sobriety thing. And so when I did that, it was also under the premise of like, I'm not going to be a secret. I'm going to have to let people know and let people into my world if I'm going to want to have this sobriety be, you know, first class in my life, right? I just really need to be available for people to understand kind of my deepest, darkest, something that I would have probably otherwise hid. And so I just came out with it and just from the get-go, I mean, we were at a new school, we were in a new neighborhood, and I just kind of said like, I'm sober, everybody, because I really wanted to avoid some of those drinking situations or invitations. And so... um, Then I got to the point in 2021, we were all home for the pandemic, and I wasn't driving kids around to practices and lessons, and I had time. And so I thought, you know what, Um, this might be a good time for me to tell my story in written form. And I had heard many times before that I should write a book simply because then I had, as you mentioned, Elise, those four other kids after I had gotten sober and our first four had seen that whole process. So my life kind of took these weird kind of before and after and then first four kids and then second four kids had all these phases to it. And so I thought, yeah, it might be time for me to vocalize the story and tell it in my own words. And so I wrote the book. And then after that was out, I mean, hey, the cat was out of the bag. If you didn't know before, now you know. And so I have found for me, and I'll wrap it up with this, the biggest gift ever has been not being a secret because people will approach me. They'll ask me questions. It is funny, I will say, ironic sidebar how many people would like to know if they're okay about their drinking? You know, they'll ask me questions as if I'm some kind of like, I can tell you and I can't, you You're know, on the stick um, and I, that'll and tell so, you, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and so, and, and that has been the biggest connection point for me and other people is that they know I'm, you know, I've been in that place of brokenness. And so I think it's an automatic way that they kind of feel connected to me. And and that's just been, that's just humbling and lovely and beautiful. And it's been the best gift ever. Thanks, Amy. What about you, Pete? How, what's your, what's been, what's recovering out loud look like for you? Oh man. So growing up, uh, sobriety uh, was uh, lame. So it wasn't cool. And so, um, you know, uh, having to go to treatment or getting to go to treatment, uh, I was able to kind of get some some background on what I might be dealing with and what other people, uh, uh, they they kind of, I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone in my journey. I wasn't alone in my my addiction, my alcoholism. Um, I wasn't alone. And when that, um, when that started to uh, become apparent, I was able to understand, well, you know, I consider myself pretty cool. And so why don't I be the cool, cool, sober guy? And why don't we make sobriety cool? Um, And when I say cool, it's like when I went into treatment, one of my 
three like issues were how am I supposed to have fun sober? You got to be kidding me. There is no way that I'm going to go to a movie without getting stoned or there's no way I'm going to do some laundry without getting stoned or high, whatever. And so there was no, um, I didn't have anybody to help me navigate that at the beginning. And so now as time went on, so my sober day is 9, 9, 19. So I got four years and a couple months. So I'm a little newer. I'm on that five-year thing, uh, you know, where people relapse after five years. So I'm really aware of that. But <laughs> but the point is that um, I am... I, I celebrate sobriety out loud. I am. I believe that it's one of my purposes in life, because the people that I run into, whether you're you're addicted to <laughs> cigarettes, zen, vaping, what you know, uh, work. There, I I feel lately I've been talking about this. Give me thirty minutes with one person, and by the end of thirty minutes, I'll find some way shape or form that there's an addictive situation going on in that person's life. Now, is that any of my business? No, but I know that when people come to me, if I have uh, made it, um, made it, made it clear that I am in recovery and I am sober, man, there are these people that come out of the woodwork that you would have never thought that are sober curious. They're very, they're like, Hey, you know, uh, what do you, you know, the, the questions about, well, do you think I drink too much, Pete? I don't, I have no idea whether you drink too much, but I will tell you that if, uh, if you need anything, I'm here for you in, in the sober realm. So it's just a, it's one of my purposes in life is just to bring, bring it out. It's cool. It's cool to be sober. There's nothing wrong with it. You shouldn't be shamed. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I got. To. So that's a solid answer. And for those of you listening at home, you can't see it, but Pete is got all kinds of swag going on. He's very cool. He's hey, the sober the hat, hipster. The hat, we're going with that. Only you can prevent wildfires. That's right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Elise. Yeah, thank yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tamar, what about you? Um, I think it was probably about my seventh, eighth year where I finally decided that I was going to start to recover out loud because before that, I mean, I had been in the same corporate job for 12 years. And so I actually got sober at that job and everyone there knew I was an alcoholic. I mean, that was pretty obvious. Um, I unfortunately has, have the genetics as well. So I was kind of screwed when I was born and, you know, I come from a Dutch family. I was born in Holland and the Europeans, they know how to drink. Um, but it took me a while to start getting comfortable with talking about it because of the stigma that was associated with it. And, you know, my story, like I said earlier, it wasn't like everybody else's. And so I never thought I was actually an alcoholic because I had the marriage, I had the home, I had the car, the dog, no kids at that time. Um, and so I thought, well, I can't be an alcoholic, right? Because this is what people say, you know, you should be homeless and drinking vodka out of a brown paper bag. But when I started traveling for corporate, it was much more challenging because, of course, I would have to take people out for sales dinners and drinks were always involved. But what I found is that everybody would ask me, you know, how come you're not drinking? And at 
one point throughout the evening, at least one person would come up to me, and I think somebody else said it, and say, hey, you know what, I think I might have a problem, or I think my brother or sister or spouse might have a problem. How do you know if you have a problem with alcohol? And I think, you know, like Casey said, that journey looks different for everybody. You know, I think there are so many more you know, people struggling out there that come home from a hard day's work, they're tired because they have children and they're doing the taxi and all the parenting thing. And then they crack open that bottle of wine and they just, they can't stop. But to others that may not look like a problem, right? But eventually, as we know, that can progress and just get worse and worse. And being sober is cool. I mean, I have not met anyone yet when I decided to start talking out loud about that journey that has said, oh, I can't believe you do that, right? Except maybe some hard, hardcore, you know, I, I am in 12 step, maybe some people don't necessarily agree with it. But I would rather share my story and have even one person come up to me and decide to get sober as a result. Because I think then we can start to normalize that there's so many people that have problems out there you know and it's not just the people who are homeless and struggling because it's it's a big problem right and it goes kind of along with mental health so I say let's talk out loud about it and get rid of the shame like Pete said yeah well you know one thing that I'm as I'm sitting here and I'm looking at all your faces again sorry for the listeners at home that you can't see our faces we're really good looking um but I met each and every one of you online we did not naturally meet in a parking lot or at a conference, right? Or at a book book signing. Uh, we met online. And so the power of the online recovery community cannot be dismissed. And it is growing every day. And there's so many options out there. It's a little bit of the wild, wild west. That doesn't mean it's all good. I get a little nervous, I'll be honest, when I see someone with three months that is now a sober coach. I'm like, ah, <laughs> Okay, what do you think you learned in those 90 days, friend? Um, but, uh, but overall, I think that the tide rises all boats. And with all of us collectively beating the drum steadily, you know, I think that that is creating and will continue to create real change. And what I would love more than anything, and I hope this becomes true, but I would love a decade from now that people look at consuming alcohol kind of the way they look at smoking cigarettes today. It's still happening, but a lot of people quit and it's kind of frowned upon because we all know it's not good for our body, right? So um, I hope that's the direction that people go. I, I hope people can learn that you you can stop at any point and 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 relapse is also very common like everybody's journey is different but um everybody on this call has gotten through a hundred percent of their bad days right and doesn't mean it was great didn't mean it was that without tears but we've all done it and we've done it because what i'm hearing from each and every one of you is we put ourselves in community and it's said all the time, the opposite of addiction is community. You can't, you can't beat this thing on your own. Um, so if you are sitting and listening to this and it's Christmas and you are feeling alone, you don't have to be. You can jump online, Instagram, Clubhouse, Twitter, Facebook. You can Google all kinds of services. There are all kinds of recovery online, sober, sober, curious communities. You just have to start Googling. You just have to have a little access to some Wi-Fi. And you can find people that are like 
excited to help. And that always kind of threw me in the beginning. I'm like, why are these complete strangers? First of all, why are they so happy? It's really annoying. And second of all, why do they want to help me? You know, like, I, I like if they knew who I really was and what I've done and what I think, they wouldn't want to help me. But that's never been the case. People in the sobriety recovery community are some of the best that I've ever met, the most generous and loving souls. So with that, because I did just bring up the fact it's Christmas and I can't sing like Mariah Carey, um, I'd love to hear from each of you what it's like to either navigate your first holiday sober or because we all have a little bit of time under our belts, um, any tips or tricks that you've learned along the way. Um, So Pete, we'll go the other direction now. What about you? Oh, man. So when I... um first got sober my it was in september so christmas was right around the corner and um i had an opportunity uh every year we go uh visit my in-laws in rochester new york and so being from seattle we would get on a plane and we would go for about two weeks to rochester and uh this is when when i would go there um she has a family that's that just drinks normally and I would, I would always, uh, I would go over there. They would have an open bar, Christmas, New Year's, all, every, all, you know, all the time. Alcohol is available, and for some reason, there weren't fights and there weren't like, you know, a drama. And I was, I would always come back to Seattle and tell my friends, like, man, dude, there's something going on over there. These people like put down their alcohol and they don't drink when it's freely able to drink. And I, I just thought it was so odd. And so uh, I had a big challenge ahead of me. I had to set, I had to set up um, a support group. Um, I had, I had a sponsor. I, I went, um, I went to meetings over in Rochester. Um, and when I went to meetings, these people definitely were not Seattle folks. So I definitely felt very odd but I went. And so I needed, um, I needed that support. I needed, I couldn't do it alone. I need, you know, Elise was talking about, everybody's been talking about, we can't do this by ourselves, you know? And so it was important that I would be open about my sobriety. It was important that I was talking about my struggle. You know, I I remember, um, you know, before getting on the plane, uh, I was in a meeting and my drug dealer had called in Seattle. And uh, I remember leaving that meeting and and concocting this plan about how I was going to be gone for two weeks and I was going to be okay. I was going to be all right. Uh, If I went used, I'd be able to shake it, come back, pass the drug test in my ILP, and everything would be hunky-dory. For some reason, you know, which I do know today, uh, I know why it all happened as, as far as the, the program I've been in and the people I've been talking to, I was honest. I was very honest during this time. And so uh, finding people that I trusted, finding people I could tell the truth to um, was very important during the holidays. Um, and so, you know, that that's really what, what kept me kind of grounded was just being honest. And it's hard to do early. It's hard to do because I've spent my lifetime uh, lying, at least for, for me. And so trying to be honest was 
was one of the hardest things to do, but my life depended on it. And so, you know, for me getting sober and staying sober, a lot, a lot is riding on this and um, my life is riding on this. And so it's, it's very important that I got a unit. And so that's what I would um, suggest, get a unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Get a team. Well, speaking of teams, Amy, you have an A team. So how do you and your entire family navigate the holidays? <laughs> I do have a team. Um, you know, I would say that the biggest thing for me, both in early sobriety, I got sober in 2011. Um, and, and this stands true today as well is what I try and do is, and I heard this in a meeting somewhere. Okay. So spoiler alert, this is not from my own brain, but copying what somebody else said has worked very well for me many times throughout my journey. And the biggest deal has been trying to visualize and picture how I want to remember the holidays going after they're over. And that has saved me so many times, particularly in early sobriety when everything was new, right? First concert, first airplane trip sober, first um, work gathering for my husband's you know, work events and all of that, all of that stuff was brand new, right? And so you know, I would, I would close my eyes and kind of just visualize like, okay, I'm having this craving now, or I'm feeling uncomfortable. How am I going to get through this? And I would think, you know what? Yes, I could give in and I could just go get a drink, but how am I going to feel afterwards? Well, I'm going to feel crappy physically. I'm also going to feel like I let myself down I'm going to feel shame, you know, and so I knew that's not how I wanted to show up for myself, but how I wanted to show up for myself was remembering the holiday, remembering people who I talked to and conversations that I had. And really, I just really felt like, gosh, you know, these are the seeds that I want to plant. I want to plant positivity into my life. I want to plant the seed of oh my gosh, you know, I got through this without giving in and trying to find an escape route because I was all about that before. And so um, by doing the harder thing, and I mean, I did all kinds of crazy stuff. I was in the bathroom, in a stall, calling my sponsor, you know, trying to just, whatever it took, I was down because I just got to that point where I was like, I know that if I pick up a drink, I know exactly where this is going to lead me. Maybe not at first, but by two or three days into it. And I just didn't want to be that person anymore. And what I didn't realize was I was finally developing a little bit of self-love and self-care, which was great and foreign and new. Um, And I think for me, that was the biggest deal is just getting real and getting honest and just going, I'm, I'm uncomfortable and I need to, you know, reach out. I need somebody else to come alongside me. We need to walk this thing shoulder to shoulder, whether that's a phone call, 
Um, I've never tried doing the thing at the airport where you say I'm a friend of Bill, but I've heard it works, um, which is basically, if you haven't heard of that, it's basically asking a gate agent to ask anybody in the surrounding area if there's anybody else who struggles with um, alcohol use disorder or alcoholism or whatever you want to call it. But essentially, it's just asking for help, right, in whatever form that takes. And so that still works for me today. Thanks, Amy. And I have tried that trick at the airport. It, I didn't do it because I actually needed it. I, I did it because I was curious who would show up. I'm not going to lie. But three people came and approached me. Three. Wow. So that was really cool. That's that was great. really cool. Really and we cool. got to have a cool conversation before we went our ways. Yeah, so it, it it can Love work. It. What so, about, they, so do they come out of like the, where do they come from? Well, they, they announce over the overhead speaker, you know, when the gate agent calls you like, Hey, Pete, yeah. so-and-so, come up here. We need to talk to you about your seat or your baggage. Right. They don't yeah. talk like that. I don't know why I'm talking like that. But um, <laughs> over the overhead speaker, they're yeah. like, would anyone, uh, if you are a friend of Bill W., will you please come to gate 17? Yes. And then people will, if they hear that and they speak that language, they will they will show up. Another tip off of that is, you know, is you can jump onto Clubhouse or you can jump onto an app. There's so many sober apps. And if you head over to the Sober Curator, we've got a whole list of all the ones that are out there. Um, so there's so many tools. So that's, you know, if you don't plan, you do plan to fail. So the other big key at going through the holidays is plan, 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 have an exit strategy, have your tools, think it through. Um, because you can you can get through all the stuff, but there will still be curveballs. And so having that plan for those side supports that you may or may not need are really, really important. Um, Casey, what about you? Yeah, um, my first holiday season, I quit drinking in February. So I thought I was going to be good. Like I was like, I got this. I'd been through a lot of ups and downs. I was, you know, close to eight months alcohol free. And I was very surprised how hard it was for me. Um, I don't think I was going to pick up a drink at that point. Like I felt pretty committed to the fact that drinking was no longer a solution for me. It was going to take me down into a pretty low place. But all of the emotions came up, all the reasons that I would normally drink. Um, and I was surprised by that. I know that um, what helped get me through is I was pretty open, like I said, with everyone that I that I quit drinking, that I no longer drank. I had asked my husband, he still drinks, um, but right when I quit, I, the only thing I told him at first was I was doing a 100-day no-alcohol challenge, um, which, of course, he didn't believe me. I'd said it a million times before and hadn't made it through four days before I was like, hey, babe, pick me up a bottle of wine at the store. Um, but I had a coach who he didn't know about and did a did an online group. So um, I did have a lot of support, made it to 100 days, decided to go for six months, then a year, you know, built up those goals. So he knew I didn't drink and I had asked him since the beginning, I need no wine in the house. I need, um, you can drink beer, whatever, but wine was my jam, specifically red wine. And on Christmas Eve, I think he didn't realize it would be hard for me anymore because I'd been so, you know, good and proud and happy and all that stuff. He was like, hey, do you mind if your mom and I split a bottle of red wine for Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve dinner? 
I don't know why I said sure, but I was, I think I was trying to be cool. I was like, oh, it's their Christmas Eve too. You know, I'm sure it's fine. It was absolutely not fine. I was miserable. The, you know, just having two little kids, three adults, my favorite, you know, drink of choice in front of me. And the worst thing was these people drank it so freaking slowly. I could, it took between the two of them, like, three hours to drink. I could have done that in like 40 minutes, easy. But they kept just having it sit there. So of course, I um, was gritting my teeth, so annoyed, wasn't going to drink, but I was like, I'm going to freaking kill you both if you don't drink this thing right now so I can put it away. So went up to put my daughter to bed, who was two, and was just texting, talking about community, texting my sober bestie, being like, what the actual hell? I'm going to kill them if I go back downstairs and it's still there. It was, by the way, an hour later. Um, and, you know, I was on a couple secret, private, online Facebook groups. I read stuff there. I complained to them. I mean, right? Like complaining to your sober people about how much stuff sucks, that helps so much. And then the next night, um, my mother-in-law was like, oh, we can have another bottle of wine or whatever. And I was like, no, you're done. It's done. It's over. This is not, <laughs> you know, no, no wine in my house now on holidays. Um, if it's a big party, we do BYOB. But I always recommend to people, number one, tell people you're not drinking. Your odds of success are so much higher if you actually just put it out there. And I always recommend just doing it in a text super casually like hey so excited we'll be bringing xyz you know can't wait to see you by the way i'm not drinking i'm doing it for me 100 days alcohol free um but don't worry about me i'll bring my own stuff like you said exit plan never volunteer to be the designated driver so you like have to hang out with drunk people late go late leave early mm. You can leave separately from your spouse or partner or friends. It doesn't matter. Um, focus on the good. I, you know, one of my lowest lows was on Christmas. I, of course, drank so much on Christmas Eve. I don't remember going to sleep, but I do know that my husband told me later he couldn't wake me up. And I had been, you know, the mom who had saved Chris, you know, stocking stuffers all year and hidden them away. I mean, I just was always buying them. Um, he did not know where I had hidden the stocking stuffers, right? You don't wrap them. You put them straight in the stocking. And he couldn't wake me up. So the next thing I know is my kids are in my room, so excited for Christmas, running downstairs to see what Santa brought them. Both of their stockings were like a quarter filled with stuff my husband had. My stocking completely full and my husband's stocking completely empty. And I cannot imagine a worse emotion on top of a hangover than that. Of course, I tried to play it off. My mother was there. There was no playing it off. Like, you know where it's like, there. I think it's spun. There's nothing to spin here. Um, so the next year when I was sober, I remembered that. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, putting the stockings together and getting a good night's sleep and sitting there with no shame and no hangover, that's the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Casey. That That's 
that's those stories. They seem small, but they're huge, right? They're huge. And, you know, we, we were talking about, I love that you said show up late and leave early. You can also Irish goodbye, depending on the size of the group. I guess there's only four of you. That's a little awkward, but like you can leave and you don't have to give reasons. Like people think they have to like explain everything away. You don't have to explain anything really. Um, and, and I totally agree with you that telling, telling people is kind of like an insurance policy. Um, it makes it a lot harder to, when you've told so many people. All right, Tamar, would you like to share with us, uh, any of your holiday experiences? Well, I'm pretty sure for 22 years of my life, I had not had a sober Christmas, um, you know, because I mean, you have to drink at Christmas. And I consider myself incredibly fortunate because the first year I got sober, I got sober in the summer. um, But my marriage fell apart about three months later because I was with an alcoholic and it was incredibly difficult to be with someone that, you know, I wasn't trying to change him. But he's like, this is your thing, not mine. And he drank every day. And that was incredibly tempting for me. And so I had, you know, gotten him actually to not drink one night and we had nothing to talk about. And I knew then it was over. And fortunately, I ended up living with my first sponsor at the time. And the reason it worked out so well is because, of course, she really pushed me into service and helping other people. And, you know, I was incredibly selfish. And so my first Christmas, I, it was very painful. I remember, even though I had a lot of people around me, I felt incredibly alone. I wasn't alone. I felt like I had screwed up so much of my life. That's when I really started to get into that remorse and that guilt of previous years. And, you know, I had a sober buddy who also lived with us. We call it our little recovery house at the time, but she said, you know what you guys are going to do today? You guys are going to open up a meeting on Christmas. So Christmas morning, I was sobbing in tears. And she said, you're going to be a service today. And I'm like, who is going to show up at a meeting on Christmas Eve? Like no one's going to show up. And she's like, you'll be surprised. And it was snowing. Like it, it couldn't have been the more perfect evening. And as we sat there, you know, my buddy and I are thinking there's no way people are going to show up for this. And slowly one by one, People started coming in and it was a full building on Christmas and it was probably one of the best meetings I've ever been to and we could all talk about our experience and all of a sudden I didn't feel alone and I think that has been that was such an incredible gift to experience that um, because everybody here has mentioned right have your community have your people be open about the fact that you don't drink and I actually lost most of my drinking buddies after I got sober because they didn't know how to treat me anymore. And I just naturally started to gain all these different friendships. And actually the friendships that I had had from, you know, throughout the years since I was young, the people who didn't drink, I mean, they still, they might have one drink a month. It just blows my mind that they can do that. But those people didn't feel the need to drink. And when I said, hey, we're not going to have alcohol in our home or I'm just not going to go out and do any of those things for the first little bit, because the holidays are incredibly hard. Um, I started to create new traditions, which, you know, community and creating new traditions was really what helped me because my brain was thinking, okay, well, it's Christmas Eve, you should be drinking right now. So we have to change what we're doing. Because if we do the same things, we just do them without the drink, eventually, we're going to convince ourselves to pick up that drink. And so that really helped me is just creating those new traditions and always having people around and always realizing that I'm never alone. 
You know, there's there's times today when when things get really tough, especially around the holidays. I have a broken up family, so they're still hard for me. But I know I'm never alone. There's just somebody on the other end of the phone any time of the day. I can pick up the phone, go online, use those resources like you said earlier, Elise. And that's the gift, I think, about being sober in any way that you get sober is we meet some really cool people. I mean, look at all of us in the call, right? <laughs> like we said, we've all you know, seen each other online. So it's very cool. Thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, the, you know, Casey, I know when you mentioned like when they were drinking slowly, how annoying that is. I think the only thing more annoying than that is when they just leave half the glass. Like what, what are you doing? Yeah, one, one of my, one of my tricks is also never be the one who's doing the dishes. If there are alcohol around you, like make someone else do it. You don't need to be washing the picking up the half full wine glasses of your, whatever your drink of choice is. So um, I still don't do that. I'm like, babe, it's all you, <laughs> which, you know, you can get rid of good stuff, good chores by being like, yeah, it's safety. Well, I'm going to go. Yeah. And there's <laughs> also like, you know, it's not just about telling people. It's also about reading ingredients on things, or you might be at a holiday office gathering, right? And somebody brings Aunt Martha's rum balls, and you don't really think, you don't know what that means. And you might be like, oh, it's cooked out. It's not a big deal. But then you take a bite into it, and you basically just have a shot of rum in your mouth, right? So you have to ask questions and advocate for yourself. And and if people laser in on that, that says so much more about them and where they're at with their own drinking than it doesn't have anything. It really, it has very little, if anything, to do with you. And it took me a long time to realize that. Um, but that uh, I did, once I gained confidence, it helped me get a little bit more confidence. But having, you know, those people close around you that have your back is just, it's a real game changer. Well, as we wrap out this holiday edition of King County Recovery Conversations, I'd like each of you to chime in with the Christmas movie you either love the most or hate the most. Who wants to go first? All right, I, I'll go. Um, so I have to say that I miss my dad a lot. He died, God, 18 years ago now, and I was a total daddy's girl. So he loved Life of Brian, which was a very unusual holiday choice, but we watched it every Christmas. If anyone knows that Monty Python um, movie, highly inappropriate for children, even though we used to watch it. Uh, so it always makes me think of him, but um you know, I basically have the media taste of a 16-year-old girl, so I'm a fan of the holiday. You know, Kate Winslet, Carmen Diaz, they switch places, fall in love. It's not a classic, but it makes me happy. <laughs> Tomorrow, what about you? I was just going to say the holiday as well, because I was a big Jude Law fan before, mm. and Kate Winslet like that. I don't know, the music in it, it just... I love that movie. Love actually comes a, a close second on that. So Pete. Oh, Elf. Elf, Elf. Is, Elf goes hard. It, it, my, yes. my, my wife and I, we are Elf fans, you know. Do you have the sweater or the sweatshirt? Uh, no, I have socks. Okay. I, I, you know, I'm, I mean, you know, it's a very unique or different type of, you gotta have, you know, a good, good sense of humor for that kind of, uh, <laughs> I've already watched it twice this season, oh, you, so <laughs> I have a 
nine-year-old daughter, so go. that was yeah. our Saturday yeah. night movie. I mean, the, the problem's going to be when my son sees it. He's six, so when he sees it for the first time and he sees, like, syrup on spaghetti and, like, I don't know, it might be a, it might turn out pretty bad at my household. But well, we'll you're, see. You're going to have to report back. You're going to have to report back. And I think that just goes back to, Tamar, you touched on building new traditions. I really love that you shared that. Um, I don't know that I've heard it in that way. I probably have, and I wasn't paying attention. That's kind of what I love about always being in in community with people that are in recovery and sobriety and alcohol-free is some of the stuff is repeat. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I need the repeat, right? And I'll hear see, hear things or see things in, in a book, you know, that I've read a million times, but it hits me differently. And so I really appreciated that you said that because I think that's, um, you know, we can all look for those new traditions and also look to be helpful to people. And this is, you know, there's a lot of hard headlines in the news right now. A lot of people are suffering. There's a lot of home insecurity, food insecurity. And so, you know, just be a little nicer to the people that you see on the street. Maybe look them in the eye, maybe give them a little smile. You don't have to like Christmas Carol to them or anything, but you know, just try to be a little nicer. And as far as my movie goes, mom, this one's for you. Sound of music. Go ahead. Tee it up. I know we're watching it again this year. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. Um, we will put a list of resources in the show notes. So if you do find yourself needing to connect with some people during this holiday season, uh, there will be some details down in the show notes. Until then, signing off. Thanks again. I'm Heather Venegas. Thanks for listening to King County Recovery Conversations, a place to celebrate recovery and help break the stigma of addiction and mental health. If you are a loved one or experiencing substance use disorder, problem gambling, and or a mental health challenge, please visit the Washington Recovery Helpline at warecoveryhelpline.org for resources and a 24-hour helpline. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Special thanks to our production team at Work P2P Studios. If you'd like to share your recovery journey with us, please email me at heather at kcrecovery.org. We'll be back in two weeks with another story of hope, resilience, and healing.